If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Welcome, Annie, again. Annie, once again, for people uh, who haven't met her yet, is a T1D mom who is reading to me today a question from Resistant in Arcata, California. Yes, this one resonates with me. I'm feeling a lot of pressure to put my six-year-old daughter on a pump, and I really don't want to. The only downside of multiple daily injections for us is that the back of my daughter's arms are a little bruised, but we're doing great with an A1C a little under seven. I don't want to learn something else and feel like it's just going to be a big jump to manage all the tech and ins and outs of the pump. Is it bad if I say no to the tech? I just don't trust it. I don't want something else that might fail. Great. Thanks, Annie. So the first question I have is for you, Annie, because you said this really resonates with me. Anything you want to share there about your experience? Was it hard for you to get on a pump? I I was just really afraid of it, both in terms of, um, you know, making it work. And also, you know, I, I tend to be a little skeptical of new technology that it's not going to do what it's supposed to do every time. And this mm-hmm. matters so much that... I, I, I was connecting with both of that. The what if it doesn't work? And also the, you know, how much is it going to hurt to put on? And mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what if I don't do it right? And all Yeah. Yeah. I think that that can be a really real experience. So many people put their kids on pumps as soon as they can. And some parents don't like to or don't want to. In our family, when my son was diagnosed at nine, he didn't want a pump. And, you know, this was a long time ago, almost 15 years ago. So it was a little less common than it is now, but it took a few years before he did it. And I actually insisted. So I do think there are several different pathways to getting on a pump. Not everybody gets on one right away. The important thing is that we can see from this mom and how they're managing is that it is totally still possible to have good enough control on multiple daily injections. Now, some people would say good enough control is a much lower A1C and even better and tighter control. The truth is that the needle hasn't really moved on average A1Cs across the diabetes population in decades. And that's even with all our technology. It's totally fine to be on multiple daily injections for that to work as long as it's working, right? Which it seems like for this family, it is working. And I get this mom's feeling of not wanting to learn anything else, right? She's in whatever learning curve, place in the learning curve she's in. She didn't say how long her child's been diagnosed, but it feels like a lot to her. And my experience, I don't know what your experience is, that when we first went on a pump, there was a learning curve for sure. And we had to figure a lot out. So you do have to be ready to take that on. And sometimes we're not in a place where we're ready and we need to give ourselves some grace because we have enough on our plates. Yeah. Taking anything new on can feel like drowning. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sometimes for sure. Absolutely. There are pump failures. So this mom is hearing the 
the horror stories, right? And is only hearing the horror stories. So she might need to broaden her scope a little, but there's nothing wrong from my perspective saying no for as long as it's continuing to work. What do you think about though? Like, is there, so she doesn't want to for all these reasons we're talking about, but do you feel like there's a point where she should consider stretching, even if it's kind of wouldn't be her first choice? Yeah, I do actually. So let's think about that. I think if this bruising and pain on the back of her daughter's arms gets bad or she, she named bruising, not pain. So if it turns to pain, then I might think about shifting to a pump because ironically that might be less painful. It might not be too, right? It depends on the child and the pump that gets chosen and all of those things. But when our kids are in pain, we need to do what we can to try to alleviate that if it's possible. I think also this is a very young child. She's six. And I don't know how they're managing things, let's say like play dates and school. Schools often do much better when a child's on a pump. There's a lot more flexibility to have your kids out in the world when they're on a pump because people aren't phobic about pushing numbers into a pump, but they are pretty phobic about giving shots to a child. So in terms of that level of care, you're probably going to have more compliance and more partnership out in the world if your child's on a pump. I don't have any idea what they're doing for their six-year-old because she's probably in, you know, late kindergarten. If it's working, fine. But if they end up in school environments where the child will be more successful because she's on a pump, that's something for the mom to really consider. Another circumstance would be playdates, right? At six, you might still be just choosing to go with your child to every play date. For an older child, you might not choose to do that. And if you want to do drop-off play dates, you have to have a kid on a pump or else you have to have a play date. You know, you give a shot right as they have snack and then you can leave. I don't know if this kid is on a CGM actually. So it's another kind of tech and I don't know what the mom's relationship is to it. But those are the situations where I would think the mom needs to stretch uh, and consider what might be good for this child, not just what her reaction is to the pump. How much choice do you recommend giving the kid? As you're pointing, you're remembering that with your son, Mm -hmm. uh, at some point you just said, this is what we're doing. But So that's in large part, that's a parenting decision. And, and not but here, but really and. And this is a family disease. I do have a strong feeling that if it is deeply impacting you as a parent to not have your child on a pump or CGM, then it's time to make a switch. Yes, it is their body, but you are being deeply impacted by it. It's time for everybody to think about the whole of the system and not just the T1D kid. Actually, for my son, and this would be another situation where this mom might want to consider a pump, he stopped wanting to eat right? He didn't want to have snacks. He didn't want to have anything extra because he didn't want another shot. He also didn't want to pump, but it put us in a bit of a bind. So I said, I think we need to go on a pump because you're not eating enough. And he was a pretty anxious kid. I had to make the decision also to do a CGM. He didn't want that. So he was actively resistant, but at some point it wasn't serving him and me to have multiple daily injections and lots of finger sticks be our method of management. I think that's such a good point that you're allowed to factor in your needs. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, in the same way that you're supposed to put your oxygen mask on first, um, 
before you help those around you. Yes. You have to be doing okay. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes kids don't know what is best for them. In fact, many times kids don't know what is best for them. So if we always take their lead, we're actually doing them a tremendous disservice. So we really need to understand what we're seeing in front of us. Like for my son, when he wasn't eating, you know, he wasn't understanding what was best for him. And so I needed to make a decision. He was about 11, I think then. And so he was on MDI for two years, but I needed to make that decision for him about what was best for him. When I had him go on a Dexcom, that was for me because I had two kids with T1D. I no longer could manage the nights and be a sane person. All of it counts. All of it counts. I guess the other thought that I have is I can imagine the mom letting the child know about her resistance to the pump and her not trusting it and that kind of thing. And that seems concerning or risky if then you are going to eventually go on it, that the kids hearing your reasons not to. Yes. So absolutely. This is something once again, that needs to be held by the parent alone and that the parent actually shouldn't be sharing this with the child. If the child is saying, Hey, mommy, I want to pump. What's that thing other kids are wearing? Then mommy needs to actually take that under consideration. Mom could say, I don't feel like we're ready for that yet. That's fine. If that puts it off, that's fine. But you could have a kid who loves technology right? Some kids really like the idea of like being the cool kid wearing the thing, right? Some kids hate it because it outs them. But if you've got a kid who likes to be the cool kid wearing the thing, that is something that keeps diabetes fresh for them. That is important. Yes, mom needs to keep her own opinions sort of carefully squirreled away. So it doesn't influence the child's opinion for that time when mom might change her mind and decide it's time for a pup. Yeah, I agree. And then if in the opposite situation, if then what you just mentioned, if like in your situation, how did you talk to your kid? And maybe how would you at different ages about when you're making a decision about it that's best for the family? And they really don't want that. So that is really hard. And that I've seen show up for lots of different families in lots of different ways. There are families where they are like, you know, practically holding their kids down to do these kinds of things. I would say that there's a parenting matrix here. There were old studies that were done in the 70s that show different parenting styles. There's permissive parenting that allows children to do whatever. There's authoritarian parenting where they're very, very harsh, right? Coming top down. And there's authoritative parenting, which is sort of the sweet spot between hearing from the child and also being the parent and setting limits. And I think in our culture today, we tend to lean more towards being permissive and we forget that setting limits and creating that container for our children is essential for them. It helps them feel safer, ironically, when we have more limits for them because it helps them know where the edges and boundaries are and they don't have to worry that they're in charge of it They don't have to wonder where it is. There's just a lot of clarity. So is this easy? No. Will you get pushback possibly? Sure. And that's okay. You can take a parenting stance that's filled with validation. Like I get why this is hard and we're still going to do it, right? The and there being super important. That makes sense. Yes. So I want to name something again that we've talked about in a previous episode, which is about a pump vacation. A lot of people go on a pump and they are on that pump and they're on that pump forever. You know, they choose the Medtronic pump or they choose an Omnipod or they choose a tandem pump and that's their pump and they're identified with that. We can be flexible about this. If this family is doing great on multiple daily injections, 
they go on a pump and the pump fails, they can say, okay, we're going to go on shots for a few days. You know, that transition becomes harder to make over time, honestly, but it's still possible to do. Yes, you need to talk to your endocrinologist because you're not going to know all the settings and the numbers and the shots, but it is possible to do. To hold it a little more lightly can help uh, make any transition easier. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks, Annie, for being on the show. For having me. Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type 1, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. Right now, your child's type 1 diagnosis feels like the biggest blow ever. You feel worried for their health and watchful all the time of pretty much everything, blood sugar, food, exercise. If your child was diagnosed in the last year and you want to get back to the calm and sturdy parent you were before diagnosis, the place to start is with Sweet Talks After Diagnosis coaching program. Designed just for parents like you, by me, a fellow T1D mom and experienced therapist and diabetes coach, After Diagnosis will help you find a faster path to calm. When you're doing better with diabetes, your child will do better too. To find out more, go to Diabetes Sweet Talk dot courses.